Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something, and it's a great one. Um, later this week, I'll head to Nashville, Tennessee, as part of the broadcast team for the SEC Men's Basketball Tournament. I'll be on the sidelines. Um, tier one, lots of COVID testing involved. Uh, just got done shoving a cotton swab up my face here a little bit ago. And I can't wait to get to Nashville. Uh, this is an event that I was scheduled to broadcast one year ago. I was actually standing on the basketball floor when the decision was made to cancel the tournament. It was such an eerie, odd time, very, very, very mysterious time that there were so many unknowns. It was very confusing for all of us, I didn't know how to react, but I remember standing at midcourt and looking to my right, and I saw Commissioner Greg Sankey seated in the seats underneath the basket with his hands on his knees staring at the phone. And that is the snapshot in my mind of the world has just shut down. And we had no idea yet what that really looked like or felt like or had any idea that we would all be in quarantine for months and months and months and what all of that entailed. We did not know what the aftermath of COVID was. I, I certainly didn't. I remember Jay Billis going on ESPN. I was listening to him in my earphones, my, my earbuds that I use for TV and he was describing on SportsCenter, guys, this is a global pandemic. This is not a couple of weeks situation. And, I mean, I had heard the word pandemic before with the Spanish flu back in 1918 and all of that, but, like, it wasn't a real thing in my mind. And then as, as the tournament got shut down and we all came home and began to realize, oh, we're going to be – this is going to change the world. Uh the decisions that Commissioner Sankey had to make for the Southeastern Conference and, in my mind, for all of collegiate athletics. Uh, you guys have heard me discuss this ad nauseum on every platform ESPN has, that in my mind, it was the measured approach to leadership and creating his own timeline and not being beholden to anyone else's timeline. We don't have to start September 5th like we normally do. We're going to start when we believe it's right. I'm going to set the timeline for the conference along with my advisors, and that's what we're doing. I believe that he saved college football in 2020, and as a result, it saved countless jobs. The financial impact, it's one thing that I asked him in this interview. I wanted to walk through this past year with Commissioner Sankey, decision by decision, day by day. How scared was he? How concerned was he? What was the process of having to make these landmark decisions that impact so many people? That every little decision has its own little variables that make every little decision a huge decision because so many people are involved. 14 schools in his conference and everybody involved in every one of those athletics departments. So I just I admire him on every level, uh, the person that he is, the leadership approach and philosophy he takes. And you guys will see as you listen to this, why? It's because he's so, so thoughtful in 
considering the question posed him and offering an answer of depth. You're going to learn a lot here. I certainly did. I also want to make sure y'all remember to check out Stephen A's World. My boy Stephen A. Smith has a new show, Stephen A's World, which streams weekdays on ESPN+, Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. He hasn't asked me to be on yet. I don't know why. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcast and watch Stephen A's World on ESPN+. Be sure to download and subscribe to Marty Smith's America wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review to Marty Smith's America. It matters a ton, guys. It helps us. That little click, just subscribing to it, telling your buddies to subscribe to it, it matters to this podcast, me and Travis, what we're trying to do here. All right, what we're trying to do today is give you guys insight on what it's like to be a leader of the most prominent conference. Travis might debate that, Mr. Big Ten. No no, yeah. no debate for me. The SEC is better. It's just Ohio State. Unfortunately, their other members don't exactly uh... – <laughs> They're not uh, holding up their end of the bargain. Ohio State's doing their part. The rest, they uh, they suck. No question the Buckeyes are. Uh, y'all are going to love this interview. Here's SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on Marty Smith's America. All right. This man has run three miles every day for a year. That would be Southeastern Conference Commissioner Greg Sankey. How many pounds down are we? Uh, right around 30 from last 30 year pounds? Time. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't speak well to my overall health a year ago. Why was it important to you to take that step? Well, the the first answer is my gym shut down. So I started running for some type of physical activity, and I did that in in mid-March. And then my commitment was not to miss two consecutive days of exercise. And then in mid-April, I made this commitment. I'm going to run every day for a week. And that became two and then four. Then at some point, I think I tweeted about it, which elevated the pressure. So, <laughs> uh, you know, here I am three, three thirty or so into it. And it's been good for my physical health, but really, really helpful from a mental health standpoint to accomplish something, to get away. You know, when you're out running, at least for me, I listen to podcasts, listen to music, but also just get some freedom to think. And that is invaluable in this, this environment. Absolutely. Expound upon that a little bit. When you're in a position like yours, how important is it to have that mental reset? All that's on your plate and in your, running around in your brain every day, what is the, the value of that? Uh, it's a high value. And you know, I have run 41 marathons. I finished 41 marathons in my lifetime. And so that was in most of those were in the 2000 to 2010 11 era and i learned then the value of being able to just go for a run and clear my mind and you know things will pop in you'll think through them move on to the next issue for me it's just kind of a random thought process fast forward to this environment when i began in april you know my days were more full than even they would be in our normal operating um, environment just because you had well, there's no competition. There's all these unknowns. And, and to get away from that, walk outside, feel the sunshine, was not just while I was running, Marty. I, in the fall, when we were kind of struggling through football, 
rather than just stay in this office all day, which is a great workspace, I would go outdoors and, and walk around the block taking phone calls and really felt that from just a health, healthy feeling standpoint, the fresh air, the sunshine was an important element of kind of sustaining myself. And no better description or explanation than, than what I provided was ability to clear my mind and think, but also to accomplish something and to be outdoors and some fresh air and sunshine, which I think is, is healthy in any circumstance, but maybe more so in, in the one we've experienced for the last year. Try to define for me the challenge of the past year when you're the leader of one of the more prominent businesses in a sector, entertainment that suffered greatly from this historic pandemic? As we're speaking, yesterday I presented uh, the trophy to the South Carolina Gamecocks women's basketball team. I did the same thing a year ago. Mm -hmm. And what I said yesterday was, here we are 52 weeks later. And what happened last year is four days after we did the unimaginable, which was to stop everything immediately. Well, I think the good news is we won't have that circumstance play out. We may have disruption. We may have COVID tests, but we're prepared to, to adjust. We've shown that since uh, we began competition in September. But if you go back to that moment, we inserted the highest possible level of uncertainty. And you could argue that's a reality every day. Like we assume what's happening tomorrow, right? You know, there's biblical reminders of, hey, don't think about tomorrow. Take care of yourself today and live right. And tomorrow will take care of itself. And we were confronted with that, that reality. And the reality was everything was uncertain. We couldn't hide from that reality. We could not ignore that we were shutting down, that we didn't know how to test. We didn't know how quickly COVID spread. Uh, we really didn't know how to treat COVID at that time relative to what we know now. So you had all of this uncertainty. And from a leadership position, you're trying to work through that uncertainty and figure out, okay, I have to deal with this issue. Let's just say finance. We didn't shut down forever in the spring. We said, we're going to shut down for three weeks. Well, how do you come back? I actually watched an interview with myself and, and Carl Ravitch right after we shut down. How will you come back? <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to try. How do you unlock the weight rooms? How do you provide academic support for young people? How do you keep their attachment to their foundation? Marty, you're starting with understanding the level of uncertainty and then piece by piece triaging, which I think was probably the first four to six weeks. Just how do you get back in, in some level of, I guess, operation, but we really weren't operating. Then the next six weeks is how do you get back to in-person activity? And then how do we get back to competition? But I'll tell you, that's like a Monday morning quarterback view because sure. at the time you're just kind of going day by day, decision by decision. And I remember standing on the floor at Bridgestone arena in the hour after you made the decision to cancel the tournament. I remember looking to my right, I was standing in front of a camera about to do a report and I looked to my right and you are in one of the seats that's kind of Man. underneath the basket and you were just right. staring your, your posture was forward, elbows on knees, staring at your cell phone. I would love to know what you were thinking and doing just then. Someone took a picture of me in, in that moment, and I've, I've seen it several times. Um, what you have to understand is we were not inattentive to the reality of COVID. 
In fact, back to late January last year, there were reports of positive COVID tests on a couple of our campuses, one of which happened <laughs> was reported by CNN. Uh, both proved to be incorrect, but it elevated our need for attention and for a system of dealing with the issues. And we had uh, conducted three different championships, swimming and diving, indoor track and field, women's basketball to that point in that environment, attentive to you know the health issues. The good news is we had no COVID tests that came out of that that were positive, no COVID cases from any of our competitions, which is a tribute to our young people and our medical support. So then fast forward, we had prepared about a week before a series of press releases, everything beginning with we're playing, we're going to have fans, it's great, coming in, the water's fine, to we're stopping. And I told Herb Vincent, our Associate Commissioner for Communications, prepare a press release for every iteration in between those two bookends. We started Wednesday with a press release that said, if you're not comfortable attending, We'll give you your money back if you purchase tickets. No questions asked. It was like voluntary social distancing when we didn't even know what, really what social distancing was. And we shared that with athletics directors in nine o'clock Wednesday morning. They said, let's not do that right now. Fast forward to that moment, which is probably, I don't know, noon on Thursday. Noon on Thursday, so yep. 27 hours later, and it all went away. So one of the things that was on my mind was we got hit with a tornado in 2008, and we figured out a way to play. I'm processing as commissioner, as the leader, we couldn't figure out a way to play. It looks almost silly thinking that way now, back a year, but that was front and center on my mind. I was looking through my phone to see other decisions because on Thursday, we were up front. We were very quick to the stop everything um, compared to colleagues. The NCA announcement didn't happen until uh, I think two or three central that afternoon. So I was seeing what else was happening. And there was actually a time when I just stopped looking and, and kind of sat there in my own mind to, to think through, okay, what now? And uh, those answers weren't apparent at that point. No. Um, I would end with, uh, I made a commitment on Wednesday when we decided to remove fans from the arena. If you remember that decision, that we were late in announcing that because I felt the obligation to explain myself publicly. And so I'd rather wait on the announcement to be able to go on the SEC network to conduct a press conference and explain why, uh, because explaining why is often the most important step. And the, the same thing was, was on my mind Thursday, <laughs> which was how am I going to fully explain um, what we've decided? It's been a really difficult basketball season off the floor in 2021 for several SEC programs. I think about Buzz Williams and, and A&M and everything that Coach, Coach Williams and his staff and players have had to go through. Mike White in Florida with everything that went on with Keontae Johnson. When those types of things happen in your programs, what conversations do you have with those athletics directors or those coaches when they're managing so many unknowns? I had just finished an interview on game day, believe it or not, and had a text about Keontae back, I think, on December 12th and didn't know. And then Scott Strickland called me to just give me what, what they knew at that time. And that was in real time. And so in that circumstance, all the way through, there were days of conversations. I, I waited 
to call Mike White until Sunday, just trying to be respectful of all that Mike had to encounter suddenly with his team and, and even himself. And you know, my encouragement that Sunday was, Mike, take care of yourself as well. Take care of your team. Take care of yourself. And then try to give space because I, I respect they all have support systems. I'm an element. And if they need help, I tell them, hey, let us know what we can do. And, you know, Florida wisely just stopped non-conference play. Just let the end of December go by and both, you know, recover, probably redirect process and get set for the season. And uh, I really admire uh, Mike's leadership. Uh, and I've not said that really to anyone, but they had a COVID disruption as well in the conference season within their team. And yet, you know, they've performed really well in a challenging environment. You know, the, the A&M situation was just this inability to get out from under COVID tests and contact tracing. And we knew up front back in September when we started, we'd experienced disruption and we saw that in football season. And it was normally uh, a one to two week process. And we now have shorter quarantine periods under CDC policy for contact tracing, but we just couldn't manage rescheduling around a, a complete month's disruption. And so I spoke with Ross, never, you know, the buzz is managing his situation. And again, I try to be respectful of the coaches. Uh, Dan Leibovitz in our office will spend more time with the coaches, but, uh, you know, you don't want that. If, had we not had that extent of a disruption, I think we'd probably be about 97, 98% of our men's basketball games completed, which is pretty consistent with our, with our other sports success rates. You said this to me before, but it, it bears repeating. Walk me through the process you took in Isers on whom you leaned last summer when we didn't even know if we'd have football. And you chose September 26, 2020, as the kickoff date for Southeastern Conference football. What was the ripple effect of that choice? Well, leading up to it, you know, one of the, the funny experiences was when things first happened. So if we go back to last March and we stopped, we were going to have all these small committees working on different projects, right? And then when we stopped everything, the ability to come back to two hours on Zoom with team meetings, we had to permit that. We had a we had a huge debate in this league. That may have been the most contentious issue of the whole experience was, you know, whether to come back with two hours or not, because there were so many unknowns, but I made a decision and I told the athletics directors, we're not dividing into committees. I'm not going to argue with five people on a subcommittee so that I can argue with 14, right? <laughs> I'm going to argue with 14, which is what we did. So that was like informative point number one, but we had this medical task force that we envisioned that first weekend. And we kept, and that group has been platinum level in performance, whatever's above platinum, you know, unlike Delta, you, you max out at platinum medallion. So I don't know what's beyond platinum, but that's what our medical advisory task force has been. So whether it's been returning to voluntary activity, June 8th, some of what happened during the summer testing plans, starting um, certain uh, sports, soccer, uh, September 18th or, or football on the 26th really good perspectives that informed judgment-based decisions. There's not enough data to just look at a printout of the analytics and say, okay, there's the clear direction. We, we had to make judgments and we knew that. 
the 26 was was based on the start of campus being central to our function as universities. So all the cynics can say, hey, it's just about football. No, we, we needed to get residential learning and living back. Our colleges, our universities, if you will, have made that decision. The last one with first day of classes was uh, Florida, I think, September 1st. And we had learned after Memorial Day, after July 4th, there was like a three-week lag of increased test positivity rates. And we, we felt we needed to let that happen. So different than any other conference, we, we, we wanted to trigger the start of football three weeks after the final opening day for our university. That was point one. Uh, and point two, moving off September 5th weekend, that, that uh, Labor Day weekend where we originally and traditionally start was really important because I felt there would be significant disruption across the spectrum of football programs if all 125 bowl subdivision teams you know, were playing on the same day. You'd probably have an attrition rate. My guess was 10 to 20%. Look at the way basketball started. We had about a 15 to 20% postponement rate that first week or so. So I was, I was pretty spot on. And I thought for our purposes, if we were linked to everybody else and we had two dozen or more football teams that had to cancel games on that opening weekend, that would make it less likely that anyone could play anything. So by moving later, we wanted to control our start date. So we never delayed. That was never the message. We set a new start date with the intent that we would begin We'd spread out preseason practice, allow for some disruption in the preseason, allow for more recovery between practice sessions, and that would set us on the path to success. And Marty, I think one of the underreported uh, achievements is we played our first three weeks with no disruption, seven games each weekend, nervous the whole time. There's not another league that I know of at the college or professional level that's achieved that in this environment, that's achieved uninterrupted competition to begin or for, you know, the first basically 25% of its season. And then when we experienced the disruption, we had momentum, we had allowed space to reschedule. Uh, we had the medical structures in place, testing, tracing, connexon devices for proximity tracking. Uh, we had medical uh, staffs on campuses working with our, our medical advisory task force that could help manage us, us through. And then we had the willingness to be as flexible as possible to move games around. And, you know, we originally were going to finish on the 12th, except for our championship game and officially moved to the 19th. So we had, what, three games and our championship played that day, uh, which put us with 69 of 71 games played. Don't forget, we played soccer. I think we played 55 of 56 scheduled contests named a champion. Sarah Fuller plays in a football game the week after her Vanderbilt team wins our soccer championship. We had golf, tennis, swimming and diving started in the fall, volleyball competition, some of which extends into the spring. Um, so the, the combination is really remarkable when you take a step back. You noted a minute ago something that intrigues me. Had you gone ahead and tried September 5th, and there were cancellations, the residual impact of that overall. We may not play at all. Without a football season, what do you think the conference looks like right now? I thought of that in July and August. And in a moment of candor, as it was becoming clear that others were going to cancel their season, I, uh, I informed the chair of my presidents and chancellors of that reality. 
And he said, well, Commissioner, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. What do you think? And my response was, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Like, can we play or not? I don't even know how to ask the question about not playing football in the Southeastern Conference. And I think that was like August 6th, Marty. And then that weekend is when everybody stopped. What it indicates to answer your question is it was somewhat unimaginable to me. That didn't mean we could guarantee uh, competition, uh, contests, a fall season. But the thought of not playing weighed, weighed very heavily upon me. And we'd have gone on as a league. When you really think, think it through, part of what I believed in July, and I said this back into May as people were talking about spring football. And by the way, I went to a spring football game at Furman University this weekend. That. I was in Greenville awesome. and watched Sanford play Furman. But I, I, I really felt in July, and I asked immunologists and doctors, if we have five reasons to not play in the fall of 2020, are you able to assure me that those five reasons won't be present in January of 2021? And no one could. And so it was, we, we're not able to have fans. Can you assure me we'll have fans? We don't have a vaccine. Can you assure me we'll have vaccine? We're going to stop because of the testing positivity rates, the infection rates. Can you assure me that in January, our infection rates will be better than in August? And very clearly, the answer to that is absolutely not. They skyrocketed even into, through January. Can you assure me that the unknowns that were at the center of the concern in July will be able to answer every question come January about COVID? And the answers were, well, we, we can't provide you those assurances. We don't have those answers. So I viewed it, if we stopped in July or August, we would not play at all. Now, maybe the financial pressures would have pushed us to that. But had we stopped for those reasons in August and September of 20, how would we ever explain the reason we were playing in January and February when every one of those factors was likely, in, in fact, were in, in fact present? You know, now some states are opening up. But if we just said no, then uh, I think we'd have had to say no in probably December when we were thinking about starting the season. What's the scope of those financial pressures? You know, for Marty, I never put the finances in front. In fact, I asked a question of a lot of really bright people the week of uh, like July 18th. So when I talk about pivotal moments, there's the March pivotal moment. There's some others. One was the, the weekend of like July 10th, 11th, and 12th. I had 14 individual conversations with presidents and chancellors asking, hey, what do you think the fall is going to look like on your campus? How do we make this decision about returning to activity? And what I learned from that is all were ready to be patient. We weren't going to be on someone else's timeline. We'd be on our timeline. That was like, I put that in my back pocket and relied on it heavily. Mm -hmm. over the succeeding six weeks as thing, the pressure was mounting. The next weekend, I started texting people, go back to 2019 and answer this question. Give me five reasons we played college football in the 2019 season. Trying to get away from the pandemic and all the other stuff. And I went to like my senior leadership team, 
I went out to media members, college football Hall of Famers, pro football Hall of Famers, former coaches. Why do we play college football? And if they said money or TV, I said, thanks for the three answers that didn't have money or TV. I want you to give me two others and take money and TV off the table because it's different. We're spending millions on COVID testing. We had 25% of our stadiums present, 75% not present. We took away 20% of our schedule, huge non-conference games. Marty, we had to put the money off to the side. The financial implications are huge. You've seen projections, tens of millions of dollars oh, yeah. from the original revenue projection that would have been, been placed a year ago uh, lost. Nobody in our conferences dropped a sport. That's a tribute to them. You know, hopefully we can continue to provide opportunities across the board. So for all the criticism that exists, yeah, we've lost staff. Um, we've had to have reductions in workforce. That's reality. We haven't reduced scholarships. In fact, we have more scholarships in our athletic programs because of eligibility extensions. Yeah. And we've not reduced sports, which um, compared to across the country, even at our colleague conference level, um, in the big time, big time world, that's unique. And uh, that's a signal that we've tried to figure out how to manage, trying to maximize how we distribute revenue. Um, our schools have made wise decisions that have kept them afloat. Now we need to end this pandemic. We need to get back to business as usual. Otherwise, you know, those challenges financially will be of such significance that the pride I take in not reducing opportunities uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see in, increasing pressure uh, on even those decisions. How did the way you had to lead and the decisions you had to make in the past year grow you as a leader? That's, uh, that's one of those questions I've, um, I've asked myself during those morning runs. Um, and I've asked myself late at night when I can't sleep. What's interesting is what I probably would have described as crisis moments a year ago are not quite the same thing Absolutely. right now. Um, probably having, having gone through it, you know, I, I, the hesitation is not that there aren't a million lessons learned. It's that this is, this is not about me. So if you accept my struggle is what I'm about to say becomes about me as a result of this, if we can, if we can like stipulate that, <laughs> I'm more comfortable answering. You know, I, I followed two incredible people, Roy Kramer and Mike Slive, like giants in the industry. Well, neither of them, I called Roy and I said, Roy, what'd you do when you had a global pandemic? He just laughed and said, that's uh, <laughs> on you. And so the ability to stand on my own two feet outside anyone's shadow is something uh, of, of importance that's come from this is like, uh, I told one of our staff members in August, if we do this, if we play a football season, it's arguably the greatest accomplishment in the history of college football. Now, somebody will say, well, that's a big ego statement. No, it's, Part of the thinking in the summer is an answer to those questions that I, five reasons we play college football. Somebody said last year was 150th anniversary of college football. Will there be 151st and what are you going to do about it? 
And I, I thought, Marty, we played through world wars, arguably five or six pandemics over time, small pot, or excuse me, the Spanish flu in 1718. Um, polio was around and we were playing college football. Civil unrest, political upheaval, economic disruption, but we kept playing college football. We just happened to have all of that in 2020. But it empowered me to think we could. And I do think it's in the top five of college football accomplishments that we, we did what we did. Um, I've gone back and look at, looked at what I saw coming. Uh, so I didn't get it all right, but some of uh, a lot of what we identified for thinking points to our membership or presidents, chancellors, athletics directors was spot on. You know, little things like we need to wait as long as we can to make decisions. And my presidents told me, yeah, we're with you in, in early July because we'd learn more. But the follow-up was, even though we're going to have more information whenever we have to make the decision to stop or go, it won't be complete. We'll have to use judgment. I said, once we started, we will encounter the unimaginable. And like week by week, we encountered the unimaginable. No doubt. You know, yesterday in Greenville, South Carolina, the power went out in the arena like three hours before tip-off. We never imagined that. If you walk in my building, and I saw it in the back door, we put a sign. I wrote a memo to our staff in June that said, basically, be prepared for dot, dot, dot. And it looked back to March, and it looked forward. And I, I saw that this morning and just smiled because we had uh, a, a protest, a social justice protest that walked by our our uh, our women's basketball tournament over the weekend. Um, those exercising their First Amendment rights were awesome. The police were awesome in managing it and communicating. We had a power outage. You know, be prepared for it all. And we're going to go to Nashville this week, and who knows what will happen. So those are some of the lessons learned. I got two more. I've kept you too long already, but one plays right into what you're saying right there, and kind of where you started of of, of handing. Don Staley and the South Carolina Gamecocks that championship trophy. What's the significance of two African American women leading their teams to the SEC Women's Championship game? I don't think it made made the airwaves because we had a long trophy presentation. It was awesome. Don like spoke about everything. She's the best man. Yeah. My Sunday morning run, I was processing what it meant to have two leaders, Joni and Dawn, leading teams in this conference at that level, African-American women leading. And so I, I, I formulated these thoughts. It was phenomenal. It just kind of came to me and I shared them with the arena. I don't think it made the airways. We were in Greenville because the state of South Carolina took down a flag that flew over its state capital in Columbia, South Carolina for decades. It was a flag that divided people. And in the aftermath of a shooting in a church in Charleston, Governor Nikki Haley, our campus leaders from University of South Carolina and those within the state, political leaders, people stood up and said, it's, it's time for change. We would not have been in Greenville yesterday, but for that, that change. And 
this summer in the state of Mississippi are student athletes or campus leaders or athletics leaders or coaches exercise their voice to bring about change in a state flag that had flown since the late 1800s. And now I'd argue they have a beautiful flag in the state of Mississippi that doesn't divide people, brings people together. And it's, a, it's evidence of what we can do together. And so I take all of that and I, I, I observe that we're the only conference at this level who's had two black women leaders in a conference championship game. That's the SEC of today and that's the SEC of tomorrow. And it has to go beyond women's basketball as well. Last thing, and I'll let you run. I am going to run, actually, because I did not (laughs) run this morning. I'm tired of running in 32 degrees. It's awful. The sun's out. I'm about to go hit it right now. So you're going to let me run. Go ahead. What's your reaction to the story out of LSU? I watched Tom Galligan, the interim president, and he used the phrase pivotal moment. It has to be a pivotal moment. It's a reckoning with a past where he stood as the – leader of that university apologizing to victims for what happened to them and the process problems that plagued proper adjudication. I thought that was pretty powerful. And there has to be the willingness to face the truth, which is what they've reported. Difficulty in moving to that moment, but I really commend his leadership for conducting an, uh, an independent investigation, for leading transparency, and what happened cannot happen again. Those circumstances can't exist. That doesn't mean all of the past is done or processed or complete. I don't mean to, to indicate that at all because that reckoning is real, but that university also has acknowledged that it has to change. And uh, I'm at least encouraged Uh, by their transparency and their willingness to acknowledge those realities and accept the responsibility to change. Commissioner, thank you so much. Uh, Amazing insight, amazing perspective, and and thank you for giving me so much time. I look forward to seeing you in Nashville. Go get that three-miler in, brother. Yeah, and let's not just just play two games like we did last (laughs) year. Uh -uh. Let's play all of them, right? All of them, man. That's right. All of them. I mean, I'm in the middle of a crash course cram session of all of these SEC teams, and uh, I can't wait to get there. I love that city. I love that town, and uh, I look forward to seeing you, bud. Thank you. Yeah, but it'll be it'll be different. But it'll be fun. You know, it was. I've had a little bit of emotion that you can imagine, uh, just at tip off yesterday of our women's championship. And so probably a little bit, a little bit more as we, we walk through the week, particularly on Sunday, with the belief we're going to crown a, cha- a tournament champion on Sunday afternoon. Can't wait. Take care, bud. We'll see you in a couple of days. Thank you. When you have someone with that level of responsibility on their plate, and the magnitude and the weight of every decision they make being so wide ranging and having so many ramifications to be able to walk through the past year with all the impact of so many of those decisions and the process required for so many of those decisions. Travis, you've heard me say it. The whole world's heard me say it. I've said it on every single platform ESPN has. 
That man saved college football. He won't say it, but if not for Greg Sankey, there isn't football in the fall. There isn't football in the fall, and he touched on it a little bit right there, and I went ahead and took the liberty to, to ask him about what, what is the scope of that financial fallout if there is no college football. It's, it's guys, the depth of it and the reach of it is beyond our comprehension. It would have decimated athletics departments. Well, I mean, we and, had we had Ross Bjork, Texas A&M yeah. uh, AD on when this was all going down in August, and he threw out some of those numbers, and those aren't pennies. I mean, that it would have been catastrophic. It would have been so detrimental. Uh, I, I don't even know what, what that looks like. And I'm grateful that we don't have to know what that looks like. And there was a lot of detractors about whether or not college football should be played. I felt like you heard it right there. It really validates the way I felt. If, if they would have gone September 5th and there would have been a massive outbreak of COVID-19 positives throughout college football and, and specifically the SEC, um, they might have been shut down and there wouldn't have been a college football season. But because he created his own timeline along with his university presidents, and they said, we're going to push it as far as we can push it and get our season in. And you heard him say there, they go three full weeks without any break in the action. And it's just, look, man, I, I think that he is so good at his job. I remember sitting there on the – standing there on the court last year at Bridgestone looking over at him. He was probably 50 feet away from me. I was at half court. He was under the basket. And to see the complete defeat in his body language really drove home to me what we were looking at. I remember when they, when they canceled it, I was like, oh, it could be a couple of weeks and we'll be back. Well, here we are a year later still managing all of that fallout. I mean, I just got done right before we started shoving a cotton swab in my brain. Yeah, I and, remember when it first started, it was like, all right, a couple of weeks. Because, I mean, at the time, I thought we'd still be going to Augusta in April. Correct. That was kind of where my mind was at. And it's he, he even said it in the interview. It's kind of it's foolish when you, you look back at it. But at the time, nobody had any idea. So in the, in the moment of it, you're thinking two, three, maybe a month, and then you're you're good. And you hear him talking about being emotional. I can see why. I mean, the weight that he has carried for a year, and and and, and to to you know their credit, so many coaches and all of these players, they've carried a lot of weight, man. Getting tested two, three, four times a week, and and having to social distance and and not being able to live a college kid's life, and all of those things. I mean, I was talking to some of the sports information directors of these SEC teams ahead of I'm, – I'm part of the broadcast team for the SEC tournament this Thursday through Sunday. And when you look at you know, some of these young men that transferred into Kentucky for – just take Kentucky for an example. You transfer into Kentucky and it's the Rupp Arena 20-plus thousand eruption that you're so looking forward to, becoming part of Big Blue Nation lore – and you don't get to live that because there's not the fans in the stands. And all of the discipline, I talked about it ad nauseum during the football season, that they, those players and those staffs and those coaches and administrations had to undergo in order to get there. 
Well, it's just uh, – it's admirable. And uh, I do look forward to seeing Commissioner Sankey at the SEC tournament and kind of hitting the reset button on what we didn't get to do last year and crown a champion and really champion everything that these young people have done this year in order to get to that point. And so – um, I found Travis, I found so much of that conversation fascinating. I hope those of you listening will too, because of the the meticulous detail that he walked through and the person personal anguish might be too st- strong of a word, but but the uncertain the constant air of uncertainty that accompanies leadership roles in the entertainment sector right now because it's been hit so hard. Y'all know I got so many friends in country music and they live that uncertainty every day. They're like, Oh my God, can I just go play a bar for goodness sake? The one thing that I really liked was him saying, you know, what answers will you have in January that we don't have now? Yo, smart. You know, just those things that he was bringing up and you're like, I didn't think about that or whatever. I also appreciate him taking time to answer with great vulnerability, the question about what it means to the Southeastern Conference to have two African-American leaders, two African-American head, head women's basketball coaches lead their teams to that championship game. And, uh, and congratulations to them for conducting and leading great seasons and to Dawn Staley and the Gamecocks for winning the SEC championship uh, on the women's side. It's going to be fun to get to Nashville and, and immerse myself in the men's championship and, and, and the men's conference tournament. Alabama is very good. Arkansas is playing out of its mind. We saw a beautiful moment with Tennessee and John Fulkerson, uh, who bleeds orange. I mean, if there's ever been beat, you know, GBO, it's, it's Fulky. And to see the emotion that he had in his last home game, we, well, it may be his last home game. He could, he could presumably come back for another year if he wants to. He has that opportunity. But it sure did look like uh, – it looked like a guy who was saying farewell for the last time, the way that he reacted. Mike White and the Florida Gators, um, everything that they've managed this year with Keontae Johnson and, and, and the, the issue that he had when, when the Gators were on the road to Florida State back in December – and, and how that has hung over this team, the emotion that, 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 that they, they managed in the aftermath of that. And I'm not going to give up all my reporting on that right now here on the podcast. I'll save that for the broadcasts. But um, it's been very real for those young men. That's something that they've managed all year long. That was the best player. It was a preseason player of the year in the Southeastern Conference and a guy that the entire offense was going to run through all year long. And so it, it was emotional off the court. It was uh, impact, impactful on the court for the way that they were uh, planning the season and, and facilitating the season. So a lot of great storylines in the SEC, and I look forward to, to diving into those uh, in my reporting life here uh, later this week. Um, I appreciate uh, so much, Commissioner Sankey, taking the time. Uh, we Travis asked for 20 minutes. We kept him for 40 Uh I just yeah, I could ca- go on and on with him. Like, I just love his. He, 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 I'm fascinated by. His, I I looked down at the phone and I'm like, oh, I asked for 2025 and we're at 27 right now. I text you. I'm like, watch the clock here. But it's just he gives you answers. Yeah, and you could also tell that like he was thinking about his answers and wants to give you 
you know, an honest answer. And he's not just going to, you know, give you some 30 second, you know, response. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, that's a guy who is leading one of the most successful businesses, uh, that there is, I mean, one of the, one of the most powerful people in sports. And so appreciate his time, uh, to come on little old Marty Smith America with knucklehead Rockhold and, uh, yours truly. And shout out to, uh, he mentioned Herb Vincent, who's yeah. the person that helped set this up in that, that, uh, department there. They're awesome. Herb's a legend. Uh, I, I, I'm, I appreciate it. I can't wait to see them this week too. Um, Thank you guys for listening so much. Please subscribe, rate, review. Uh, it means so much to our sponsors. It means a lot to my bosses, and it means a lot to Travis and me for the work that that we do here on Marty Smith's America. Um, leave, drop us a line. Let us know what you think and kind of your analysis of, of what Commissioner Sankey said. Let us know. Uh, maybe we'll read a couple of them in a future episode. When we don't have a guest, maybe we'll kind of revisit this and download it a little bit. Uh, we have a lot coming up. I mean, a lot coming up, man. Travis and I have the Masters coming up here in a couple of weeks. We can't wait to get there. I just spent a couple of days uh, down in Myrtle Beach doing a big piece with Dustin Johnson, the defending Masters champion. Uh, can't wait for you guys to see that. Uh, after that, I got the Kentucky Derby. After that, I got – what do I have? I don't even know, man. It's crazy. It's funny that you sent me your schedule, and I actually go into work now on Thursdays and Fridays, and – at my desk is it's basically my desk looks like spring of 2020. And so like things are, and so your schedule is up and it's basically what you have coming up just from last year, just because it's a time capsule. I haven't taken everything down yet. And um, hopefully we get all those sporting events in. That's right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you to our law enforcement officials all over the country, keeping our community safe. Our first responders, our firemen, everybody that, really puts themselves out there uh, to save lives. Uh, it's amazing what you guys do. I hope you feel – I hope that you feel appreciated uh, because uh, over here on our side, we certainly appreciate everything you guys do, and the same goes for the United States military. We appreciate so much the sacrifices that all of you make, both our, our current uh, members of the military who are active, our veterans – uh, everything that you sacrificed, uh, we're just so grateful, and we hope you know it. Take a minute. If you see a veteran who has a hat on that says Vietnam veteran, uh, that says Korean War veteran, that says World War II veteran, Desert Storm, take a minute. Go say, hey, say thank you. We appreciate it. We live in a free land. It's an amazing blessing. Be good, guys. This is Marty Smith's America. We appreciate you listening. We'll do better next time, although that was pretty dang good. <laughs>